Isn't that a beautiful song? Pray on. 
Should we ever stop praying? Mm -mm. When we get saved, we say our Father, dear Heavenly Father. When we go home to be with Him, we say Amen. And in between, it's one continuous prayer. Praying always, in season and out of season. We thank God for each one here today. Shall we just open in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we thank you for this beautiful song that John Yvette sang for us. We thank you that we do face difficult circumstances and many times we don't know what lies ahead of us and sometimes we're fearful and, and troubled and anxious, but we thank you, Lord, that you already know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. You already know what this week will unfold and what is going to come the rest of the year. And that's why we can leave it in your hands knowing with confidence that you're a God who has all things under control. And Lord, we pray now that you'll speak to us through the Holy Spirit this morning and instruct us in your word, challenge us and encourage us in your ways so that we can go forth from this place today and be a blessing to those we come into contact with. And Lord, we just pray you'll hide me behind the cross and may it be a blessing today for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every January, I really like it when we start a new year. Because when you turn over the calendar, it's not just starting another year, it's, it's starting fresh. It's starting new again. And it's a blessing to reflect on what God has done for us in the past and then to look forward to what He's going to have for us in this new year, 2007. It's a time of reflection. We should look back and we should evaluate our lives and and look at what God has done in our lives and what he's going to do in our lives, especially in the light of eternity. One thing I heard many years ago touched my heart, and I'll never forget it. It goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only the things done for Christ will last. That is so true. When you add up all the, sum and the parts of your life and you take out the things that are not for Christ and all you have left is Christ, how much is left? You know, a lot of people spend their time making money and there's nothing wrong with that. And they spend their time accumulating all kinds of possessions and getting accolades and success in this world. But when you take it all away, what's left is what we do for Christ. That's what counts. And when we go before him at the throne of grace and when we stand before his judgment seat, that's all that's going to matter. What did you do for me? How did you live your life there on earth? And that's what's really going to be important. You know, in a few minutes this afternoon, four teams are going to be playing today. Two games. And they're going to be playing the NFC Championship and they're going to be playing the AFC Championship. Only one team will survive and be the champions of the Super Bowl this year. And I know some people don't understand football, especially the ladies. And, and so when I use illustrations on football, you might not understand it. But, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> some of the men don't understand it either, right? <laughs> oh, very good. But you know, I really like the analogies that football have to offer, especially. I like all sports. I've been a sportsman since I was a young uh, child. My mom can testify to the fact. But my favorite sport, if I want to watch a sport, is football. Because I love the team concept. I love how it, all, how it all works. And I found an expression, and you might have heard it, especially you know, if you know sports, if you know football. But the expression is this. He left it all on the field. 
He left it all in the field. What does that expression mean? It, mean he gave, it means he gave his all. He didn't hold anything back, that player. He went out there and he gave his all. And when he went off the field at the end and walked through that tunnel or ran through that tunnel, he has no regrets, win or lose, because he gave his all. He left it all on the field. And I was thinking about that yesterday and I was here at the church and Rick Punzo was here. And I started meditating on this subject and I started to think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ left it all on the field. And what I mean by that is he came down from heaven and he went all the way to the cross and he laid down his life for us. He shed his blood. He suffered for you and I. He laid it all out there. And he went all the way for us. And I thought, Lord, if you left it all on the field for me and gave your all, how can I not give you my all, give you my best and leave it all on the field? And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, Lord, how could I ever look you in your eye and say, Lord, the sacrifice is too much? You've asked me to do too much, Lord, I can't do it. How can we ever say that? Because of what he has done for us. So this year, 2007, can be a great year if we leave it all on the field. Hold nothing back, give everything to him in complete surrender. We will be the happiest people. And we can look back at the end of the year on the 31st of December and say, we gave it all, Lord. We gave it all to you. So that's our title this morning. He left it all on the field. And may the Lord encourage us that way. Shall we turn in our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 12? I've been reading the Bible through. And I decided this year that I was going to read the Bible through with the Lord's help in one year. I've never done that before in one year. It usually takes me a year and a half, two years, something like that, reading uh, through the scriptures. But I said, this year, I want to finally do it. So I'm going to make a decision to do it. And it takes discipline, but I'm very thankful that I started. And today's the 21st. I'm on pace. And I want to go all the way through the scriptures in one year. And you know what? The Lord has given me that burden, and I'm enjoying it so much, and I'm learning so much going straight through this way, and it's just a tremendous blessing. So let's read today from the 26th chapter of Genesis. We're reading the story of Isaac, just a couple of verses here, Genesis chapter 26 and verse 12. It says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper, and he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we're going to look at three things from this passage. Number one, he wants us to be productive for the kingdom. Secondly, he wants us to be profitable for the kingdom. And third, he wants us to be prosperous for his kingdom. So we're going to look at these three things today. You know, the world has a totally different concept of what it means to be productive. You know, if you go to work and you don't produce in your job, what's going to happen to you? We'll ask some. What happens to you at Safeway? If you come to work at Safeway, you slack off, you don't give your best effort, you don't perform, what happens to you? You're gone! Donald Trump, what does Donald Trump say? You're fired. You're fired. That's what the world does. It's a success-based society. If you don't produce, you don't. 
Make it. You're gone. They get, get rid of you. In sports, they put you on waivers. They trade you to another team. That's how the analogy goes. But praise God that the Lord isn't that way with us, with his servants. He doesn't say, well, you messed up today, Dean, so you're gone. You're fired. No, he's merciful with us. He's compassionate with us. But does that mean that we should slack off and take it easy and not give our all? Absolutely not. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, it should spur us on to want to serve him more this year and be more productive for his kingdom. And I really like how it says here in Genesis that, that Isaac took some action. Notice he didn't just sit back in his Christian walk in a nice comfortable chair and let everybody else work. Notice he sowed in that land and reaped in the same year. And I thought that takes effort. That takes work. And that's what the Christian life is all about. God wants us to be productive. He will do the work through us, but we have to be willing and we have to be surrendered, and we have to be yielded to him. He'll bring out the results if we're willing to give it all for him, to lay it out all on the line, to leave it all on the field. We notice that it says here that he sowed in that land. What land was that? That was the land of Canaan that God was eventually going to give to all the nation of Israel. They would have that land. It was a productive land, a good land. And God gave him that land and he used his efforts. And notice what God did for him. He prospered him and blessed him. And it says he blessed him a hundredfold. Wouldn't you like to be blessed in your life this year, 2007, a hundredfold? Think of that. That's not just a little blessing. God wants to literally pour out a blessing on each one of us more than we can contain. Have you ever seen those commercials where the, the water comes down on the man, he's standing there and it just floods down on him and he's just getting overwhelmed by it? God wants to do that. He doesn't want to sprinkle you with a little bit of blessing. He wants to pour it out on your life. But we have to be obedient. We have to be willing. We have to be surrendered. And if we are, we can be productive for him this year. We can be the Christians that he wants us to be if we give it our all. In Galatians chapter 6, 7 to 10, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know, if we sow to the Spirit, it says, we'll reap from the Spirit everlasting life. But if we sow to the flesh, we're going to sow from the flesh corruption. And so that's the choice we have every day of our lives. What are you sowing? What kind of life are you sowing before people you work with, people you live with, people you meet every day? Do you know that you're a sower of seed? And the kind of seed we sow is the gospel message. But if they're going to listen to us, our lives better back it up. People better see Christ in us. Otherwise, they'll just say, it's just a lot of hot air. Because we have to back it up with our faith. Yes, the Lord wants us to be productive for him this year. Have you ever noticed, even if you're not a sports fan, how many coaches get fired every year in sports? I mean, I think it's a disproportionate number to the average people in society that get fired because the coach is expected to win. How often? Every game. So the standard is very high. And I think it's quite amazing and sometimes humorous that a coach can win a championship, a Super Bowl, and be number one, and they have the confetti coming down, and they hold him the Super Bowl trophy, and he's number one, he's on top of the world. And then two years later, three years later, the team starts to slide. They start having injuries, and bad things happen. They start losing, and guess what? That coach is what? Fired! 
how do you fire a great coach? How did he go from being a genius and a great coach here, and then two or three years later, he's a loser? No. But that's what the world deems it that way, because he didn't win. He didn't produce. And what the Lord wants us to do is be productive Christians, not just to come to church and take up a seat and, and come to the meetings and then go home. He wants us to go out of these doors and be productive for him, to be fruitful for him, to bear fruit so that people will be blessed. You know, we thank God for it. And a lot of times people think, well, I can't be productive in the church. I can't be productive. I'm not a preacher. I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't teach Sunday school. I'm not a soloist who can get up and sing. Guess what? Every Christian can be productive. Do you know that everyone here who's saved has a spiritual gift, at least one, and probably more than one? And God has given you those gifts. And if you're not using it, you're like the man who took his talent and buried it in the ground. And the master came and said, why didn't you bring me a result here? Because I was afraid you're an austere man and you, you are a very tough boss and I put your, your talent in the ground. And he says, you unproductive, you unfruitful servant, you wicked servant. He said, you should have taken it to the bank and made money with that talent. You should have been like the other two in the story that took their talents and made more. God wants us to be productive Christians. He wants us to live for him. And I thought of seven things that every Christian can do, no matter if you're a new believer or you've been saved for a while. These seven things you can do every day and be productive this year. Number one, you can pray. Just like John Yvette sang in that song, Pray On. Pray for each other. Pray for the unsaved. Pray. That's something that every Christian can do. Even if you can't go to church because you're shut in and because you're sick, you can pray and you can be productive. I think when we get to heaven and we meet some of the missionaries in heaven that we pray for and we meet some of God's servants that we pray for that we've maybe never known and they're going to come up to us and they're going to say, thank you for praying for me. This person got saved because of that. This happened to me here and I had a miracle happen here because you prayed. We'll never go wrong. We'll never be unproductive if we pray faithfully. Secondly, we can read God's word and study his word and memorize his word. And that's productive. That is productive. I wish we had more people coming to class on scripture memory. I really do. I mean, I told Mr. Ron this morning, I said, brother, the donuts are winning today. <laughs> because, you know, we have donuts in there and we have quiche in there and it's so delicious and the fellowship is even better than that. I do not blame you, folks. But when scripture memory time comes, don't miss out. Come to the class. And, and hear what was shared and what we're studying in these verses, it's tremendous. The third thing that you can do and I can do this year to be productive is to serve the Lord. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be a preacher or a teacher or an elder or a pastor or anything like that. We can serve the Lord. And one concept that came to me a number of years ago that blessed me so much is when I heard, Dean, you can serve the Lord at work. And I thought, how can I serve the Lord at work? But when you think about it, by the job that you do, by the quality of job that you do, and by the opportunities you have to share with people, you're serving the Lord. So it really, our whole life is serving the Lord, not just at church on Sunday or during the week, but when we go to work, when we go to school, we can be productive. And when we come home, we can say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me a productive day, something worthwhile, something fruitful. That's what we can do. Another thing that we can do, every Christian can do this, to accept adversity and affliction in our life without complaining. 
That's a hard thing to do, but that's a productive Christian that when they go through these trials and these experiences that are really tough, but they don't complain and instead they thank the Lord and they're joyful, that makes a difference to people around us. It really does. It's productive. It's also productive to give our time and our money to the Lord. We heard that today. You know, when we give to the Lord 10% of our income and more, I think we should give. I personally believe that even more than that. When we do that, the Lord blesses that and he blesses our lives and that's productive. It really is productive. Another way that we can be productive is we can witness and testify to others about the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for our sin and he was buried and he rose again and if we accept him as our savior and we can share with people how they can be saved. And then the final way we can all be productive, no matter what stage you are in your Christian life, is live a life of separation from the world. That's a way that every Christian can be productive, separation from the world. You know, it's a foreign concept to so many, even Christians today, to be separated from the world, to not participate in the things that unsaved people do that are evil and wicked. We have to be separated. But it doesn't mean we have to leave this world. No, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. But we can be separated. People can say there's something different about that person because they're not doing and saying the same things as the unsaved. Yes, the Lord wants us to be productive for his kingdom. I read kind of an interesting story about Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote a book called A Slow and Certain Light. And she was the wife of Jim Elliot, who gave his life as a martyr down in South America in the 1950s uh, to the Aka Indians. And she continued serving the Lord down in that area and, her, and they still have some relatives that are serving the Lord down there as well. Well, one day two adventurers came walking by her home to talk to her and they said to her, you know, we want to learn a few phrases so that we can talk to the Indians. And they didn't ask her advice on what they should do or anything. Just give us a little advice. Tell us a few phrases. Say something that we can, we can do. And she writes in her book, she says, Sometimes we come to God that way, as these two adventurers came to me, confident, and thinking that we're well-informed and well-equipped. But has it occurred to us, with all the accumulation of stuff, that something's missing? We know that we need to have these answers for people, yes, but we need the right guide. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the right guide. He's the right roadmap. And when we come to him and ask for his help, he will direct us in the right way. Only the Lord knows the future. Only he knows what he's going to have for us this year. But we can leave it in his hands, knowing confidently that it's secure and that he will take care of us. You know, I don't know what you're going through today in your life. You don't know what I'm going through in my life necessarily. We have a lot of things. But I can tell you this. If you're going through a critical situation and you don't know which way to turn, which decision to make, turn to Jesus. Because number one, he'll give you salvation. He'll save your soul. And number two, he'll direct you on the right path. And that's what we all need. People are looking for answers today and all they're getting is questions. People have a lot of questions. They don't have answers. Believe me, the answers are in this book. It's in God's Word. It's through Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him. When we come to Him, He is our guide. And His Word is our roadmap to heaven. And He has the best advice for us. Praise God for that. So the question is this morning, are you being productive for the kingdom this year? 
And I think all of us can say, Lord, I want to be more productive for you. I want to be more productive for you in this year, 2007. Secondly, not only is it important to be productive, but it's also important to be profitable as well. You know, you can have your own business nowadays. You can start your business, and you can have the best employees, and you can have the best products, and you can have the best production processes, and you can have the best shipping and delivery system, and at the end of the day, that business is going to fail unless you make a profit. How many businesses have started, and they've started off with all the best intentions, but they weren't profitable? So what happened? They went out of business. And it's sad. How many people start businesses, go out of business? But God is looking for profits also. He wants our lives to be profitable so that we cannot be necessarily profitable just in an earthly way, but in a spiritual way, we can be profitable servants. That's what he's looking for. And it reminds me of the story of Onesimus from the New Testament book of Philemon. We've, many of us read this story of this man. He was a slave. He was a runaway slave, Onesimus. His master was Philemon, a good Christian man, a godly man, and he worked for this man day in and day out, but he, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. He says, I want to get out of here, and I want to go to the big city in Rome. And I'll find fame, and I'll find fortune. And so he waited for the day when he could escape from his master's house. And then guess what he did? He stole from his master too. He took some of the money. He took some of the things. We don't know exactly what he took. But he went off to find his fame and fortune in Rome. And guess what happened to him? He ended up meeting the great apostle Paul. Where did he meet him? Probably in jail. He probably got in jail for some crimes and Paul was there because he was a persecuted Christian serving the Lord. So they put Paul in the jail and they may have even been cellmates. But he met the apostle Paul and he told him his life story and he told him what happened and he explained the gospel to him and he got saved. And this man Onesimus was now a new person altogether. And now Paul is writing this letter, Philemon, to Philemon, to explain that I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Once he was an unprofitable, useless servant, now he's useful. Now he's more than that, he's a brother. And can you imagine that story when Onesimus carried back that letter and gave it to Philemon? He's a changed man. And his name in the original Greek, Onesimus, means useful. Well, before he wasn't useful, he was useless because he didn't know the Lord. Now he knows the Lord and his life is useful. And that's the first thing I'd like to emphasize today. If you want to be a useful, profitable man or woman, you've got to be saved. Because you can do all the other things. You can be a philanthropist, you can give your money, you can give your time and all these things. But at the end of the day, if you're not born again, it's going to mean nothing absolutely nothing. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be vain and empty. But when we know Jesus and we serve him, then we can be profitable. Then we can be useful for his kingdom. And that's what he wants us to do. Yes, how useful am I? How useful are you to the Lord? And the, you know, you have to really stop and think about it. Are we serving the Lord to our full capacity or are we serving him to half? three quarters. 99% is not even enough. I want to give the Lord all. What is this thing? Jesus is Lord. I read this here yesterday at the church and then I went back and out there in the office we have one also that says the same thing and I said, wow Lord, you are Lord. 
And I want to be useful to you, Lord. I want to serve you. You left it all on the field for me. You died for me. You gave your all. How could I hold anything back? I want to be a useful servant for you. But you know what? If you want to be useful, you have to be prepared to be useful. It just doesn't happen. If we want to be a blessing and win souls for Christ, and if we want to teach others and we want to help others, we have to be prepared. How can you answer somebody's question from the Bible if you don't know the Bible? That's an obvious one. We call it a no-brainer. And how many of us have, have talked to people and they've asked us tough questions? Best thing to do in that case is say, you know what? That's a great question, and I'm going to get the answer for you for that question. Don't try to fake it, but tell them you'll get the answer. But the key to it is to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if we know God's word, then we can speak to people. Just like Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and in fear. Suppose someone comes to you, Bob, and they say to you, why are you so happy all the time? You know, and Bob says, well, I guess I'm just happy by nature. No, he doesn't say that. Or they say, why do you always, you always accept the task, whatever the boss gives you, you do your best. Well, I go to church. Better answer, but still not the best answer. Why is it that we are the way we are? Jesus, he's the only reason. He's made the difference in my life. He's made the difference in your life. There's no other way to, to explain it. I read kind of an interesting story about a skeptic over in London. And he came up to this Christian and, and he, said, he said, you know what? I find it impossible to believe the Bible. Any book like this whose authority is unknown, I just can't accept it. So the, so the Christian said to him, so I guess you don't believe in the multiplication table either, right? Oh, no, I believe in that because it works so well. And then he says, and so does the Bible. So does the Bible was his answer. And the skeptic had no response. The Bible works. If you don't believe me, read it for yourself. Will you make this commitment to read the God's word every day? Maybe not the whole thing in one year, but read it every day. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study the scripture. You can never go wrong by it. I always think it'll be kind of embarrassing if we get to heaven and somebody, we're introduced to them, oh, this is, the, this is uh, Malachi here. Oh, did you read my book? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I missed that one, Malachi. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <clears throat> Can you imagine being in heaven? We never read that book. We emphasized other things. God wants us to know the whole counsel of God, everything in the scriptures, and learn it and delight in it and, and understand it every day. He wants us to be skillful. And you know, God cannot use a person as, as a useful vessel unless they're a clean vessel. God wants his vessels to be clean. Can you imagine if a surgeon was going to do surgery on you? And let's say you had it planned tomorrow, and they go in, and the, and the doctor's ready, and the surgeons are everything, and they've got the instruments laid out before them, and they're not clean. Would you want to be operated on with things that are not cleansed? Do you know that that's a problem in our nation today? They say there's hospitals now that don't sanitize things. 
And that's why people that go to the hospital get sick. I mean, you're supposed to go to the hospital to get well. They're going to the hospital getting sick because people aren't washing. People aren't taking care of it. God, too, will not and cannot use a vessel who's not clean, who's not holy, who's not sanctified and prepared for the Lord's work. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.19, turn over with me to 2 Timothy 2.19. It tells us the criteria for God to use us. It's a very clear indication in 2 Timothy 2.19-22 on how we should be to serve the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. It says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and this was one of our memory verses Brother Ron gave to us not long ago. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then he says to Timothy, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Did you see the criteria that he said? He says, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to be productive, and you're going to be profitable for the Lord this year, you have to depart from iniquity. We can't coddle sin. We can't flirt with sin. We can't let it get a hold of us at all if we're going to be a clean vessel. So that's the first criteria, depart from iniquity. And then to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit. And then thirdly, he says, we have to be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And then he tells them, like I said, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with a pure heart. Question is this morning, do you qualify to be a profitable servant? If the Lord was starting his own football team, let's say, his own team, and the Lord is the head coach, would he choose you to be on his team? What a question. Isn't that something? Every year they have the draft and they look at the college players, best college players in the country, top ones, and they put them through their paces at the, at the combines that they have for those who know football, and they, and they look them over, they take their pictures, they have them run sprints, all kinds of things, and in the end of the day they choose which players are going to be on their team. The wise, astute observer of that talent looks beyond just the, the physical talent. They have to look in here. They have to look at their hearts. They have to look what kind of person they are, what kind of character they are. Because to be a useful, profitable vessel goes beyond by just more than what we do. It's what's on the inside. And that's why that person that lays it all, all on the line, leaves it all on the field, is not the most talented player necessarily, but he's given it his all. And that's the way the Lord wants us to do for him also. If you're familiar with football at all, you know that there's those who play offense and there's who play defense. And everybody wants to be the quarterback. You know, when the kids play football, they all want to be quarterback. I want to be quarterback or I want to be the wide receiver or the running back because there's glory in that. And you'll be on ESPN highlights. You want to do it. Or defense, I want to sack the quarterback or I want to make that key interception and run it back for a touchdown. 
But how many come out of college and say, I want to play on special teams. My whole career, I want to I block and I want to tackle and that's what I want to do. Very few want to do that. Maybe none. Because there's no glory in it. Occasionally, there'll be a punt return for a touchdown or a kickoff return for a touchdown and they'll say, wow. Like this young man from Chicago, his last name is Hester. I think it's Darren Hester. He ran back like six touchdowns this year on uh, kickoff and punt returns. Unbelievable. But it's rare. Nobody really wants to play on special teams. But guess what? I want to play on the Lord's special teams. I was thinking about this yesterday. I said, Lord, I want to be a role player for you. I want to be on your special teams. I don't need to be in the limelight. I don't need to be out in the public eye to serve you. I want to play on your team, Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You're the coach. I'm the player. And that's the way a successful team works. And you watch, the teams that win today will be the ones that win as a team. Play together. That don't try to do it all by themselves. That is what makes a successful team and what makes a successful church. Because we cannot be a productive, profitable church unless every member is productive and profitable. And producing results for the kingdom. And I like what it says here in, in this last part. We see that not only was Isaac, he was productive and he was profitable. He was prosperous also. And God prospered his life. Notice what it says here in verse 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 13. It says, the man became, began to prosper. He began to prosper. And he continued